0: Well, welcome to the Huntback Country podcast. This is episode number 379, and we have a awesome and unconventional hunting story to share with you today. Our guest is a listener of the show, Jim. Jim did not start hunting big game until he was in his 60s. In this past fall, at the age of 63, he had a successful hunt that is a great story, an unconventional story. There's a lot of information and entertainment to pull from Jim's story, and I'm excited to share it with you today. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to check out the podcast episode archive, which you can find at exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. You can find all previous episodes there. There's hundreds of them. You can browse by topic or search by keyword. It's a great resource to check out. And if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in whatever podcast app you're using so that you receive future episodes automatically. As always, you can get in contact with us directly by sending an email to podcast at Or if you have a question for one of our future Q&A episodes, look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. Right now, let's go ahead and hear this great story from Jim. <laughs> Well, Jim, welcome to the hunt Back Country Podcast. I'm excited to chat with you, man.
1: Man, thank you. It's good talking to you, Mark. I appreciate it. And it's uh like I said, it's an honor to be here.
0: Yeah. Um I'm, I'm I love your story. Uh you sent an email over about a hunt. And uh there's so much in there that I just enjoyed hearing and then also that I know is relatable to so many listeners. And so I'm excited to to get into some of that today. But before we do with some context, um, for who you are, kind of where you're from, just kind of let listeners know a little bit of who Jim is.
1: Uh, well, I, I live in, uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and i I've, I've been hunting my whole life, I guess. Um, but I just, well, I actually used to be a hunting guide in Arkansas. I grew up hunting ducks and, you know, small games and deer over there, but, uh, um, I kind of got into elk hunting by my, by my nephew and I'll probably get a little more into that. And I think he probably regrets it, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I, uh, I guess I just done a lot of hunting and just never really got into elk hunting until 2019. So we went on a semi-guided rifle hunt that he, uh, he talked me into because I think his father-in-law and brother-in-law were supposed to go and it wound up being me and him, um, It was a good trip, but I learned real quick that even as a guide, I I, I was not the kind of person that wanted to do a guided hunt. So we started looking at DIYs and that kind of leads us into where we got into this hunt. So,
0: When you said that hunt was semi-guided, was that kind of like a drop camp situation or what did that look like?
1: It, it was a, uh, these guys had a camp, uh, that you, you, you packed into and, uh, they had a cook there and we had these little cabins that they, they drug in on trailers. Uh, it was really unique, but it was, um, and we hunted, they had, he had a lease on state park in Colorado. Uh, and then there was all kinds of national forest land. Um, but we, it was a second season rifle hunt, I think is what it was and I, I bought a cow tag um and it was um it was beautiful it was fun it was a great experience but it was kind of like the, the disappointing part of it and and i i will tell you, i'll say this i'll back up a little bit when uh he we started planning this in 2018 so i, I think i got the university of elk and i went through all that and i started trying to consume all the information i could on um, elk hunting and I joke because I think I'm the most educated, unsuccessful elk hunter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I really like that sometimes too. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> but, um, so anyways, when I got there, it was kind of like, well, you need to go sit here for, you know, a couple of hours. And if you don't see anything, move over here, And I get it. They don't want you moving around and boogering all the elk. So, um, it wasn't, it wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't the kind of hunt I wanted, but, uh, uh, so, um, but it got my appetite wet for elk hunting and I've been addicted ever since.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's cool that, um, I mean, feel free to share your age or not, but I know you've been hunting for decades and like at, at one point in the story, you mentioned like not being new to archery and that you had a Browning Cobra back in the seventies. So that'll give some guys context, but I just love the fact that even though you, have been hunting for decades and whitetail and guided you know for ducks and all that stuff that you still just at your age are like gung-ho to pick up something new i think that's such a such a cool thing
1: yeah i'm i'm a yeah i'm 63 i turned 63 on this elk hunt and uh um yeah i did i started um I, I bought my first bow um i think i think i was like 10 or 12 um And I, um, one of my buddies' father was a big bow hunter and he was selling his old bow, which was a Browning Cobra. And, um, I I bought it from him with money from my paper route, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been an archery hunter and I've never really known, you know, I was self-taught and, and I didn't shoot with sights till I got until, I don't know, uh, it was late nineties when I finally got a bow of sights on it. Um, so, and, and I've killed, I've killed a lot of, a lot of deer with the bow, but in shooting a you know, whitetails, I've never really shot anything over 25 yards. I just wouldn't take that shot because I didn't have the confidence and most of the places I hunt, I didn't need to. So archery elk hunting was, was a, a new level for me. So, but, um, but yeah, I've, I, I, uh, I went out and upgraded my equipment this year and, I uh, got serious about it and and uh, um, probably definitely the most money I ever spent on a bow mm-hmm. <laughs> and almost probably uh, more than I spent on most of my rifles. So, um, yeah. but love it. I absolutely love this bow and my confidence level has just increased and I've tried to learn as much as I can about archery. And there's so, it's so much to it. Um, <laughs> but What bow uh, did you end up with? Uh, I wound up buying a used Matthews Traverse, um, okay. and, and the guy, I, I absolutely love it and, um, set it up with all, with, you know, all the, t- you know, Trinity rest and tight spot and, uh, got uh, most of my, uh, accessories from, from S and S, um, got the black diamond, uh, black gold, um, uh, Hunter pro site. Yeah. In that, which I really like that. Uh, that's the, the the clarity and the color on both sides are amazing. In my sixty-three year old, I need all the help I can get.
0: <laughs> that's very cool. What is, I don't want to just camp on age, but I, I just personally always find it interesting when I get to speak with someone like yourself who's in the sixties and not only, like I said up for trying something new, but also just still getting out there and getting after it. I mean, I I feel like I see so many guys that I know personally or that I hear from who are only in their 30s or 40s and 50s and are already starting to make these excuses of, oh, I wish I could, but I can't because this and that and the other thing. And then you got guys like yourself in your 60s, and I'm sure you don't feel like the, the spring chicken anymore, but you're still getting out and just doing what you can and have you just always kind of stayed relatively healthy relatively active and was it a big deal for you was there any sort of like life change in the last handful of years when you wanted to start getting out and chasing elk what what's that picture look like
1: um i've always i've, I've always wanted to in i guess an adventure seeker you know i've always looked for opportunities to go out and do things Uh, i was a big solo backpacker when i was young um this is a funny story it's a rabbit trail but steve will appreciate this one because he's such a boot guy i was i was 13 years old we were on a family vacation um my mom my dad traveled a lot and he bought this rv and we literally would my Mom would take us. Uh, I got three sisters and a brother and load us up in this RV and de- drive out to different places, and he'd fly out and meet us. But um, we um, we were at the Grand Canyon and they had this store in there, and i I'd, I'd done a lot of hiking, you know in Arkansas and Missouri, and Tennessee. And I had these old Browning Ted Williams, well, they were Ted Williams boots, and I think Browning made them or something. but uh, uh, my mom bought me a brand new pair of hiking boots. And they were, you know, heavy, leather, stiff boots. And I was 13. I didn't know any better. I was just, just so excited that, that she spent the money on these boots. And first thing I did is hike to the bottom of Grand Canyon you know, <laughs> and got down there with my feet bleeding from the blisters. that I uh, uh-huh. developed on the way down there and had to spend a, a, an extra day and a half uh at the camp i was supposed to go all the way in the river and i stopped at this cottonwood uh campground and, and spent two days there um oh. and hike back up and got blisters on my blisters going back up but
0: uh, oh man
1: so <laughs> and you know it's just funny i tell that story and my and people talk about and, and in fact i've done so many things by myself um and my wife asked my my mom one time she said, well, do, don't you ever worry about him doing these things by himself? And, you know, I don't know if it was because they had, I had three older sisters and they finally got a boy. They were like, well, you know, we don't have to worry about this guy, but she, <laughs> her, her response I thought was interesting. She was like, well, I know Jim can always get himself out of any situation he gets into. And, um, and, but, uh, that's part of the, the mindset I had. I just, uh, I was never afraid to try anything new. Um, and I did a lot of solo uh, in the Wind Rivers up in Glacier. Um, whenever we went on trips, I would try to do at least one or two uh, solo backpacks when I had an opportunity. So, um, yeah, I guess I've always I've always looked for an adventure and 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 never been afraid to launch out and do things. Uh, so when you get older, um, yeah, you can make excuses, but. In my mind, I'm trying to, I'm trying to fight this, this thing called old age. Um, And father, Tom doesn't slow down, but so I, I've got, I figure I only got so many seasons left in me. I got to make the most of them. That's kind of, I guess that's what my driving force is.
0: I love that, man. That is so cool. It's, uh, it's funny to think about that contrast of you at 13, you know, 50 years ago and yeah, I'm just going to leave from the family vacation here for, you know, a little bit and go hike down to the river and end up getting delayed for a couple days. And gosh, it's like you think of that happening today and search and rescue would be called and all kinds of stuff. And it's just a different, different era, different mindset back then for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, you know, I, I don't know how my mother did it because, um, Well, my daughter got married in Greece and my son decided to go solo to uh, Spain. And then he went to October. He went to some road rally in Spain and then he went to uh, Oktoberfest. And uh, he was supposed to be, you know, meet us in in, uh, Santorini at this this date. And well, as the as the day went by, uh, I think it was six, seven o'clock in the evening when I finally heard from him and I was I was. I was coming apart like a $2 watch. I don't. I, I was so worried about it. And I lost touch with him. And he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he's, you have to understand my son, he, he can get 11 cents out of a dime. And uh, he, he wasn't going to pay for the international calling. So <laughs> I didn't have any way to get a hold of him. So I was coming to pieces. Uh, so I don't know how my, my Parents did it to be honest with you and and uh, if they were around i'd apologize to them now but uh
0: <laughs> yeah man i'm sure just that again this is a total rabbit trail but just thinking of the grand canyon and probably what that looked like 50 years ago versus now um you know i've i've been to the grand canyon numerous times and i have hiked it from rim to rim but it's almost you know, it, and this is true of a lot of national parks. But they're so busy and in a way so commercial these days. And the Grand Canyon, in particular, the South Rim, which is where you know ninety five of people go, ninety five percent people go when they visit the Grand Canyon, is just so big and commercial and busy. And it's like, man, I bet it was, but it was p- pretty different fifty years ago.
1: It was. It was funny because I went. Um, uh, we were out there. Um I guess well, it's 2012 my daughter was miss Tennessee and and we went out there for for that in Las Vegas and we drove down the canyon and uh, couldn't believe how much it's different in fact, I was trying I remember as a kid that it seemed like the campground was right on the rim and uh and then there was a store you know and it just looked totally different when I came back. It, you're right, it's just so commercialized and so many people um but, uh, and I, and the trail seemed wider when I went down, it <laughs> this mm-hmm. time. So, sure. but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing glacier, all these, I went to Yellowstone on this hunting trip and it's still, it's totally different than I remember as a kid. And, um, so that's, I guess that's the age we're living in. Everything's part of it's being old you know you, you just think about i remember dial phones you know uh-huh. <laughs> uh things like that you, you know it's just funny um when you see young people now then the you know uh, my wife's a school teacher and it's amazing how many kids cannot read a clock they have to have a digital clock oh yeah um, just things like that it's 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 just odd how much the times have changed and good ways and maybe not such good ways. So
0: yeah, for sure. Well, to get to, uh, to get to this fall, you kind of said you had this previous hunting experience that guided set up kind of determined that wasn't for you. Um, and it sounds like you got together with your nephew, if I recall correctly. And now you're, you two are going on a do it yourself hunt and, uh, kind of chose Montana. So, I guess before we get to that story itself, like what what kind of led to that? What led to choosing Montana? Um, I think you guys did the elk deer combo. but we'll Just kind of talk about, you know, maybe putting this hunt together, selecting it, who your nephew is, and and all that for this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, my sister's son's name his name's McKay, and he he's lived in Florida his whole life. Uh, um, and like I said, he got he kind of got me into elk hunting, uh, which was uh like i I think he regretted it because i think his plan was to go every few years and i've um, i've told him i'm going every year regardless if he's coming or not so i think he feels obligated to join me um but um yeah we did the 2019 semi-guided hunt in colorado and then the next in 2020 uh i wanted to do a diy and uh neither one of us were probably considered ourselves proficient enough with Bobo to do elk hunt. So we did a muzzleloader hunt, which was interesting. Um, and then, uh, that, uh, he said, uh, well, we didn't get drawn in 2021. Um, and I, am a banker and I actually had a client that, that, we got talking about, uh, hunting with. And, uh, I went hunting in a late, late, right, low odds rifle season last year, uh, in November, with this guy. And I think you, I, I won't go into that story, but it was a, uh, um, uh, hunting partner. Oh yeah. Issue. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, the, that kind of led to uh, 20, this, this last season. And I, I thought, well, let's put in, I've been putting in for New Mexico and some other places and, um, Montana changed their, their, um, their point system and the way they do it. And I thought, well, let's try Montana and try to get away from the crowd and, and Colorado. So that's kind of what led to that thought process. And, and anyway, so we put in, uh, got drawn for a general tag uh, with no points, uh, which was awesome. Um, and then the work began trying to figure out where, where we were going to go. So uh, that 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 general tag's amazing. It, you can hunt such such a large area of the state it just yeah. uh it makes it it actually makes it more difficult trying to figure out where where to go but uh we've landed on some spots and
0: um what did you look at to help narrow that down because as you said it can be just incredibly overwhelming when you look at okay i got this tag let me see what opportunity that gives me and then you quickly realize oh that's a that's a big big chunk of land to consider um how did you begin to narrow that down
1: oh I, I couldn't even i mean i wish i had the hours i spent on research and elk hunting um you know i went into the elk population uh the management study reports um you know i've i've hunting the fool uh, go hunt i've looked at all the statistics uh, um i've even you know i took uh mark libisay's course um I think when he first started it, I was, I I think my member, I was probably one of the first hundred people to sign up for it, I believe. But, uh, so I had, I had a lot of research background and, and, uh, started diving into it. But basically the, the first thing I did is I talked to my nephew and neither one of us were too fond about hunting in, in heavy grizzly country. So I drew a circle around Yellowstone and glacier and kind of eliminated anything that was established, um, habitat i had, I had a mm-hmm. philosophy that that most of the most of the uh, attacks occur from sows with cubs and um uh, surprisingly um they have a sm- fairly small range and the and the, the 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 cubs the female cubs usually stay pretty close to the the mother's range of course the males can go anywhere mm-hmm. um but so we just tried to eliminate that first, and then uh, I started looking for areas I thought would not be heavily hunted. Uh, and the um, only way I know to hunt, hunt elk is kind of in the timber, uh, and a lot of a lot of Montana's open country, and I think that's where a lot of the elk are. But uh, I eliminated a lot of that, so I was I was trying to hunt the mountains and the timber. So I'm it sure. it narrowed it down. I had places picked out pretty much all over the state but um um we uh we headed out to one of them and i can get into the story on that or if you have any other questions but that's kind of how we we narrowed down the the uh,
0: selection yeah no that's that's good i mean using all the resources you can um and then also i love in there that you mentioned you specifically chose like, Hey, I want to hunt some timbered areas. It's what I feel like I know or have some experience with, even though there is a lot of open country in Montana, because I don't, I bring that up to people sometimes when, you know, they're asking me questions on like, Oh man, what should I do? I have a general tag or I have all these options. And part of my response to them is yes. Think of where the animal's going to be and like what habitat they prefer. But when you are presented with, with an area that animals use different types of habitats, maybe different elevation bands, different types of cover, or maybe it's you know a statewide general tag like this one, and it's like okay, well I can. There's going to be elk here and elk there, and they're very different. And people just tend to overlook. Hey, what do I want to hunt? Like, what type of terrain do I want to hunt? What type of elevation do I want to be at, Et cetera? Because sometimes you have that opportunity to say okay there's elk in these three types of places or these three elevation bands or if i go from this area of the state to that area of the state they look much different um what do you prefer what do you want to hunt not just where are some animals going to be so i'm glad you mentioned that
1: yeah yeah i mean i guess i just gravitate towards the timber because that's what i've always hunted whitetails with my bow i you know i've a lot of guys will sit on, you know, edge of field and shoot across of it with a rifle, but uh, and, and you just can't, you can't get close to an animal in the open with, with a bow, and that's that's kind of what my thought process was on the elk.
0: So yeah, lead us into the story. I know that uh, you said McKay's from Florida. I think he flew up and met you there in Tennessee, and you guys drove out together, correct?
1: Correct, yeah. Uh, we got in my truck and drove straight through. Was, I think it was right at 30 hours, and um got got to a campground in um, montana and uh i think it was near big timber and then we were just a few hours away from our final uh, well from my first hunts planned hunt area uh spent the night there on the yellowstone river which was nice um we got it was funny because it's been really warm here uh you know it was probably 85 degrees in the house when i left and um i'm in t-shirt and jeans and that that area right there for some reason was really chilly and that night got cold but it was one of the coldest nights we had of our whole hunt uh, um but yeah from there we got up and and uh, went to my my first hunt area and we got there and i it was I kind of planned to hunt this uh, this road that dead end and, and we we could take a trail and skirt back around the back of this prop, this for national forest that uh, didn't have any access from this other side and it was all private and there was some agricultural and I thought this would be a good spot to start. You know, apparently, I, everybody else had that same idea.
0: <laughs> um,
1: there were several camps there. There was more people coming in while we were there. Um, we... I had a camper that I thought I could drag back there, but it didn't, we couldn't get it down the road. So I dropped it and we drove the roads and explored. And there was just, there was just too many, there was recreation going on. There was motorcyclists and then there was a a lot of hunters there as well. So um, we decided to run about an hour away to another, uh, another unit in another area. Um, And we liked the looks of that better. So I came back and got that camper and took it to a spot that other spot and dropped it. Um, and that was interesting because, um, we got there a little before sunset and, um, I backed it in, leveled it up and, and jumped out with grabbed my vinyl harness. And I wanted to run out to this, this glassing knob that I had marked. Um, McKay had put his pack in his, his bow was on his pack and he had his bow in his pack. And we literally were practically running down this, this trail. And I remember looking at my phone, making sure we were headed right direction down this Ridge. And, uh, I heard a chuckle and I stopped. And as I was turning around to ask McKay, if he heard that, uh, I see this bull and three cows standing about 35, 40 yards away from us in the timber. Um, (laughs) and, um, then I looked down and, and I realized I'm standing there in a white t-shirt. Wow! Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you, and you they, just
0: think, Hey, we're just on the road. I just want to go get to this glassing spot and see something and boom, you're an elk.
1: Absolutely. It was the craziest thing. Uh, I mean, we weren't 50, 60 yards from the road. Um, like I said, we had just got started down this trail when, when this happened. And so now I'm standing behind McKay trying to hide my white t-shirt from these elk and I'm getting this, his um bow off his pack to uh and, and i hand it to him and he's standing there with his bow in his hand for a while and and i'm watching these elk and they're just kind of milling around and you know we didn't have a shot but he could have stepped out at any moment so i'm like you know knock an arrow he doesn't knock an arrows and and i'm like man knock up and he finally knocks up and um then I feel the wind kind of start swirling, and so I pull out my wind checker, and I realize it's we're on top of the ridge, and there's this the breeze is coming over the ridge and kind of swirling and headed right towards them. They obviously were they were working their way up wind. so they wanted to be where we at, where we were at, but um, they they knew something wasn't right, so we backed out before we boogered them, and went back and tried to set up camp, but. We were so stoked because we'd already seen more elk uh, (laughs) in the first five minutes than we'd seen in our previous hunts. So uh, it it was pretty exciting. Um,
0: That's super exciting. I don't want to skip over, and and this is, again, like you have a very practical uh, example in your story of a principle we talk about all the time, and that is go into your hunt especially in a new area especially in this case you're coming from out of state with that plan a plan b plan c and be specific so as you said you went to go and hey here's plan a we're gonna go down this road and you know circle around this national forest and that kind of blew up for several reasons one is you couldn't get your your trailer back there your camper back there 2 you're seeing a lot of traffic both from hunters and recreation etc so you're quick to check off Uh, plan a and then you immediately know what plan b is where it's at how to get there and not only that but you already had a glassing spot picked in mind so not only do you have a theory of like oh hey if this spot doesn't work out let's go in this general vicinity in terms of plan b but you have a detailed plan of hey if we end up at plan b here's where we can camp and here's a very good glassing spot. And so again, we talk about these things all the time, but I just want to pull that out from your story of how well it sounds like you guys executed that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, you know, one of the things that Mark drives home and and I've heard it from multiple sources, but you got to have a plan. You don't want to be sitting out there scratching your head and, you know, wasting good elk hunting time, trying to figure out what you're going to do. So yeah, I've, I've, I've gone to the point of actually writing them all out. So, um, but yeah, Montana looks like it's covered in red dots on my on
0: X. Cool. So you guys get into elk. And, uh, as you said, this was all kind of near sunset. So excitement is high to, to be in this area and wake up and start hunting. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. We, I mean, that night we were in the camper, we were both like, we were both giddy. We were both excited. We were, you know, we were stoked um, and we thought, wow, this is crazy. And so, yeah, we, we thought, well, we just, we'll, we'll plan a hunt to try to hunt those elk. We figured they really wanted to be on that Ridge. So uh, we tried to stay quiet that night. Of course, camp's 50 yards, 60 yards away from where they were. So um, we weren't sure they'd be around the next morning, but we decided we'd try to hunt them. In.
0: How did you put together a game plan then for the morning?
1: You know, we always analyze everything, I guess, or at least I do. So we thought they'd probably feed over that ridge and go down into this. Um, there was a bunch of blow down. It was just, just I don't, it's just a strange mountain. It had, I don't know if it, it didn't look like a beetle kill and didn't look like a burn. It was, there's, just, there's tons of uh, blow down and this matchstick piled up, but it, then it had uh, timber in there. And it so opened up the uh, the canopy. So there was a lot of, there's a lot of food in there and they love that stuff. Um, But our plan was to, to go on the road and walk down the road a ways and get down below them so that uh, we could come up with the thermals, you know, coming down and, uh, and kind of work, try to work back up and find them. And, um, well, we found them, but uh, (laughs) I'll, uh, I'll guess I'll go ahead and get into that. So we, we decide to walk down the road and I guess we got maybe 60, 75 yards from the, uh, the camp. And um, I look up and there's this cow elk standing about 10 yards off the road in front of me. And um, we lock eyes. I mean, literally I'm looking eye to eye with this cow and uh, um, she's just looking at me and I, and I see other cows moving around and then I see that unmistakable light tan of the bull back in the timber and um so i pull out my wind checker and sure enough i mean it's she's downhill from me so the thermal's taking my scent right i'm just watching this little cloud of dust go right to her and i'm like mm. and it was like a countdown three two one and then it just blew up she she took off and the woods exploded from all them and it seemed like uh Seemed like we could hear them running for a mile. And uh, we knew we knew that was those were those elk were gone. So uh we were so excited from seeing an elk and finding out Now we're we're like a couple of whip puppies walking back to camp like <laughs> and laughing. That's that's not that was that was interesting, but that was not good. Uh, yeah. so um that that was uh, that was our first morning hunting, and uh, uh, we were like, oh, "We we kind of screwed that up." So we were sitting back at camp, lamenting that and trying to decide what the next plan was. And I thought, "Well, let's let's go hit this other spot that's about a mile or two up the road." And um, so we get in the truck and we're driving on this Forest Service road, and it's a big road. Um, and we probably were a little over a half a mile from the, from camp and off to the right, there's this six by six standing 20, 25 yards off the road in the timber. And it's fairly open timber in this area. And, um, and he's looking right at us and I, and I laugh because I know my mouth was open and I think McKay saw him at the same time and and we're driving by and our heads turning with our mouths open and this bull's watching us drive. by um so i just kept driving i got driving and uh went up the road a ways and they're like what do we do so you know we stop and turn around and we're like okay the wind's coming from this direction the thermals will be coming down he was moving this way so we devised a plan we drive back past where he was about another half mile or so and then we park the truck and get up in the woods and start working towards him and uh um and it's probably about nine o'clock now. Um, so we start getting close and I think, okay, I think we're close enough. And, and so I, I let out a cow call. and He bugles. And I mean, immediately bugles back at me. And um, I don't hear so good. I've got, I've got hearing aids. And, and since I put those in, I can't judge distance for nothing. Uh, so I was like, you know, I asked McKay, I was like, so how far do you think he is? And I said, I think it's about 200 yards up that way. And so I said, well, why don't you move up about 50 yards and I'll stay back and call. And that was kind of our plan. And he was going to be the shooter. I had planned to come back in rifle season. So, um, he, the plan was to get him tagged out and then I would try to tag out. And, uh, so he, he moved up and we got set up. And I, I I let out another uh, cow call. He bugled right back, and this time he sounded closer, but he was still pretty far out. And I'm standing there, and I noticed this line of little Christmas trees between us and him. And I thought we need to get them get to the Christmas trees and get on the other side of that. So you know, because it was it was fairly open we were at. And uh, anyway, so I moved up to McKay, and he's. I'm down below him because um, the bull's uphill from us. And I'm trying to keep, you know, trying to pick the line that he'll come down. Um, so I start signaling McKay to move forward. And uh, he goes, he, he starts to move forward. And as soon as he starts to walk, I look up and that bull is standing on this side of the Christmas trees displaying to me. Cause he knows there's a cow down there. And I'm just like,
0: mm-hmm. Oh
1: my God. And, um, uh, And I'm normally cool as a cucumber, but I kind of lost my stuff that time. (laughs) Uh, So I start calling uh, with my, I start cow calling to my, to McKay to get his attention. Well, he's, he thinks I'm just calling and he's continuing to walk. So I'm, I'm calling more and more. Pretty soon I'm making a sound that probably sounds like a cat fight. Mm -hmm. Um, This cow call. He finally turns and looks at me, and and I'm like, you know, we've worked on these hand signals, and I'm like, there's a bull right there, and I turned back to show him where the bull was, and the bull had just, just I see his butt disappearing back into the Christmas trees. And uh, anyways, then we start doing hand signals, and he's he's actually seeing cows, and he doesn't, and I'm trying to tell him I'm seeing a bull, and uh-huh. um, so these hand signals are going back and forth and uh, that was probably pretty comical. We probably looked like those guys on the sideline of a football <laughs> field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, anyways, um, kind of cut to the chase on that. We, uh, we, we, I moved up to him. He's, he was watching the cows and we, they started just feeding up the, the hill and, and so we were shadowing them for a while and following them. And we, we were trying to, and we could see them, but we were like, we, we've got to get ahead of them. So we backed out, made a big circle and came up around above them. once we figured kind of the line that they were moving, we thought we knew which way they were going. And um, started working down on them that way. Um, and there was, this, there was this little micro meadow in the middle of this timber I thought, well, they're probably going to move into that. And, uh, and so we kind of split up. We were probably 75 or 100 yards apart. This meadow was probably 50 yards wide. And we started working down each side of that, looking, trying to get eyes on them again. And uh, um, McKay wound up seeing them. They were on the other side of the meadow on his side. And he said he saw them. Saw and he, he said they had to see him um again the wind was still good so we didn't think they smelled us but he said they were just he saw them walking away from him and uh so we we backed out and um tried to circle back around and and we wound up looking for them and most of that afternoon we couldn't find them we found all kind of bedding spots and stuff but uh um that was that was day one we've had several encounters and
0: how close were you to that bull like when when he was present but mckay was further up and all that encounter uh what was that like from from your perspective
1: uh that was pretty embarrassing actually uh, to, uh um, i uh, you know i i never even it never even crossed my mind uh to range him or to even think about shooting him i was too so busy trying to think about mckay and my initial thought was he was probably about 75 yards, which is a little outside my range. And uh, but, uh, um, and I, I, I kind of used that as an excuse, but again, it was day one. I hadn't done any range, and, I, and everything looks different. You know, it's, The mm-hmm. woods look different there than they do here. You know, so I started to range them some things, and I was it was pretty evident to me that he was um, well within my range. He was probably 40, 45 yards from me uh broadside um and had i probably uh immediately went into you know kill mode i probably i probably could have got on him and and made a shot but uh so yeah that was that was kind of my rookie mistake number
0: one (laughs) it's easy to do though i mean um one of my very first elk hunts hunting with a partner is you just you do tend to like okay you're the shooter i'm the caller right now in this scenario and and so that's where your headspace is at and if you're not careful to stay present of you know like in, in the case of my story and similar to yours of i'm the caller right now but i still have a tag i have a bow like something can get around the shooter come from an unexpected direction um, so even though i'm the caller and even though we have a bull located and the shooter's up towards the bull, that doesn't mean like what happened in my situation on this early hunt years ago is that just another bull came in quiet and snuck up on me from a totally different direction. And so that's certainly something that it's like, just don't get too much tunnel vision because the scenario that is in your head that you want to play out a certain way and those roles can easily get switched like in a heartbeat
1: yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right i guess my new rule is if i hear elk or see elk i'm probably knocking an arrow
0: mm-hmm. that's what i've done like in doom in most instances of even if i think i'm on the collar and even if i'm like in a pretty tight or covered spot a lot of times i'll i'll knock an arrow i'll set often my bow like down, kind of lean it right against a tree or something near me, or even look for a broken branch to hang it kind of next to me. Um, And then just go ahead and and look for shooting lanes and maybe even range some spots. Because a lot of times as the caller, especially when you're sending that shooter ahead, you end up with a little bit of time, right? Like, okay, I'm going to hang here and call. You work your way 40 yards up there. And, you know, as that shooters working that 40 yards up there getting set, etc.? as a caller, take the time to then, okay, I'm getting ready to call, but let me get my bow out. Let me get my bow ready. Let me look for shooting lines, et cetera. So um, definitely something that that can be helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, like I said, I. it was a learning experience to say the least.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, it's awesome. You guys are having such action so quick and, uh, you know, just have to laugh at how close to the road much <laughs> of this is coming to.
1: Oh, I know. It was it the ironic thing of it was that when I, I called the biologist, and I called some game wards and but I was talking to the biologist and I'll never forget. He he I was talking to him about food and, and different feed that they might be on. And he's like, You need to forget about food. They're gonna find food wherever they're at. He said, But you need to get away from the roads and get away from people. And uh and so far we're I don't know that we even got a half a mile from the road at this point, And we've seen you know with several encounters already and it's like the elk were right like i said he was right by the road in fact that, when i went back in rifle season i'm and i'm kind of getting ahead of my story but my i was like i don't know how to find these out my nephew says why don't you just drive the roads
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh yeah that was interesting it, it was it, it was it, like i said it's fun it's a learning experience and and um uh, we we got to see some elk and got some bugles and that was, that was, the, that's the first one we had, uh, I guess a, a bugle encounter with the for both of us. So,
0: yeah, there's nothing like that, man. It's, it's so, so fun.
1: Yeah. Well, he covered that ground so quick. He was either closer than we thought he was or, you know, they, they can move pretty quick anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, that was, there was a lot, I, there's a lot of takeaways from, from that experience, but, uh, at least we felt good about our spots so (laughs)
0: yeah was that most of the kind of most of the action for that whole day then
1: uh yeah i think um i'm trying these days kind of run together in my head i think we went up and and made several big circles and and went back to camp uh and i don't think we had any other encounters that afternoon but the see uh yeah that's right and then the next day we went back in that area and, and tried to work into this, you know, trying to relocate them. Uh, I'd never relocate them that morning. We, we found, I think we found like four wallows. One of them was like 20, 20 yards off the road. It was the craziest thing. It was, it was screened by some brush and some willows and stuff, but it was right on the road. Uh, and, um, we, we found a bunch of bedding areas and we walked around and then, uh, we came back to camp and that afternoon we decided to, to go back down the ridge. that was behind the camp the first night where we, where we ran into that, the, uh, the bull and the cows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, that's where all the blowdown was. It was quite interesting. Um, but somebody had cut a trail pretty good ways back on the ridge top, And so we, we were just kind of still hunting and moving back in there. And it was getting later in the day, um, uh, and then we started hearing some bugles, uh, multiple bulls down below us in this, in the creek bottom at the bottom, or um, or at least farther down on the ridge. And we could hear them moving towards this, um, down this creek towards this big, there was like a big park that connected to a bunch of private land. So we're hopping over trees trying to get to, trying to realize real quick. We were not going to be able to keep up with them all the deadfall, so we were just trying to keep them in earshot to try to figure out where they were going and and maybe have a plan for the next morning. And um, we jumped over this tree, and I looked to my left, and standing uh, well seventeen yards away from me was this mule deer buck. And of course, we had combo tags, like you mentioned. So um, I was being a white tail hunter, uh, you know, I'm not used to this, apparently mule dozers stand there and stare at you for a while
0: It's <laughs> uh, so different isn't it oh it's crazy yeah i mean sometimes obviously they'll spook but even then a lot of times they'll bound off and then they'll they'll give you that second look or kind of check back and they just have such a different uh like i don't know a way to put it like a different flight mechanism than whitetails
1: yeah it, it, it it's it's funny because I, I you know i heard how hard they are to hunt and uh, um so I was telling McKay, I said, don't move. And he had his back to the deer and, and he, we're, he's actually facing me. And, uh, he's, and he's, and I'm like, don't move. There's a deer right behind you. And, and I have one of these little, uh, um, slickers, which I absolutely love that thing. Um, so I range him and he's at 17.7 yards. And, uh, I thought, well, okay, if I can get my slicker off and I can knock an arrow, you know, maybe I'll I'll take a shot at this guy, and um, and he was not anything special. I mean, he was a big-bodied deer, but he was just a uh, and he had tall antlers. When I first saw him, I thought he was a I thought he was like a three by three or a four by four. But when I started looking, he was he, I guess you call him a super two or something. But um, um, take take my slicker off, knock an arrow get the full draw and i'm thinking you know i can't believe he hasn't bounded away and so now I'm now i'm trying to find a, a there's a, a bunch of dead fallen dead branches between me and him so i'm trying to find a little hole to shoot through and I, I find this little hole to shoot through and and um his shoulders exposed and um now this this is a new bow this is the first animal i've killed with it and so i i released this arrow and and i did a lot of work on my setup for elk and um that thing made the loudest pop when it hit him and uh, uh and i was just and he oh. ran about 10 yards and fell over dead and um mckay turned around the same run off and i got a complete pass through so he didn't see you know he didn't see an arrow sticking out of him and he heard that pop and it, uh, i think he thought i hit a tree or something and missed him and i, said, no, I got him. He, <laughs> and um but um I- anyways it was so now we got meat on the ground and um, while we're standing there I'm like let's just let him I'm just we're just first off we're trying to take it all in it just happened um and I just tagged out on deer by accident um and we're standing there just making sure he's 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 dead he's not gonna get up and uh, it hasn't been two minutes and all of a sudden this little forky comes walking up and he's in velvet and apparently they were buddies i don't know he and he went to right where that deer would been standing and then he hopped over to a couple of trees and and walked over to where the deer was laying and um uh, and then he came back and i swear i swear he had an expression on his face that looked like like <laughs> oh hell you know <laughs> <laughs> something's <laughs> wrong with frank oh,
0: <laughs> that's funny
1: Oh, it was, it was hilarious. We just cracked up laughing and then he kind of walked off. And, um, uh, and then while we are while I'm skinning this deer out, this three by three, he was it a three by three or four by was a nice buck. He was smaller buck and smaller, uh, but smaller frame antlers, but he had more points and he, he comes walking 20 yards away from us, walks right back to where that deer had been standing. I mean, it was just a little patch of Quakey's, um, that was in the middle of all these pines so it was i guess it had enough grass or something they really liked that spot
0: yeah found um, that special pocket
1: yeah so we wound up i just wound up boning that deer out and oh i the, the best part about it was we stepped over the biggest pile of bear scat i mean it was practically steaming it was so fresh and and uh you know it and we got a little time before dark, but I'm like, I'm not dilly dallying with this thing. I'm going to get this thing boned and packed out. Plus, yeah. walking through that blowdown in the dark was would have been nightmarish. Um, so we went out, packed it back to camp, and uh, hunted the next morning, and then took that into town to a processor, which. Uh, um,
0: so getting back really quick to that pop, that loud noise you. You said you heard when you shot. You ended up. You went through the scapula, correct? That's probably yeah. what some of that noise yeah. was.
1: Yeah, he was. I thought he was broadside to me, but he was quartering to me a little more than I thought. And yeah, I, I hit him. I hit him right dead center of the scapula, and and um, I felt pretty good about my um my setup because it literally shattered that scapula in three pieces uh when I was boning him out. I, it was it literally, and it was a pretty thick bone um so yeah i was and i shoot a fairly heavy arrow um i think my total weight's like 491 um and um I'm shooting a little micro hades uh broadhead but it that punched through him like it was like it was nothing um but yeah i i think that was when i heard pop was that scapula
0: breaking yeah, nice. um, yeah good performance man
1: yeah, it was. It, it really was. And I, I don't shoot that. Um, I tore up my shoulders. I tore up my shoulders uh, two years ago. I had both shoulders torn um, uh, rotator cuffs. So I, I'm i only shooting like 65 pounds. So I think the arrow is probably dealing like at 250, 255 or something like that feet per second. But it, it did the job. And I felt comfortable that it probably punt, it wouldn't go through a elk scapula but it'd probably go through an help i should be able to get a pass through on an elk with it anyways
0: yeah avoid the big shoulder and get it through the ribs and that
1: yeah yeah so um but yeah so basically uh two days hunting i've tagged down on we've had several encounters i've tagged down on um uh, uh deer and uh feeling pretty i mean you know, you you want to kill a bull, but uh, I was feeling like the trip so far was a success. We were pretty thrilled with with what was going on.
0: I'd say so, man. <laughs> That's a heck of a lot of action.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. Uh, to say the least. Um, awesome. But uh I guess the uh, uh, oh, this is a funny story. So now we're driving uh McKay calls his wife and, and um, the, I, I think this is just funny because she's never been to Montana and if you've never been to Montana you, you wouldn't understand this but she says oh well if you went to town did you get something nice to eat and he goes no we got a, a sandwich from the gas station and she's like what She says, well you don't understand we just drove a 168 miles we didn't pass a single fast food restaurant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally blew her mind but yeah. uh, it was it was pretty it was amusing at, at the moment but yeah montana's a different world for people that never been there
0: so get to town get some food get this meat dropped off uh it sounds like you had some uh some interesting events happen after this
1: oh oh yeah um yeah yeah so we did a little hunting and we 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 found this area on this north face was really thick and it was full of sun i mean i, I actually think we were seeing elk sign everywhere and I, I, I saw some really big sign and I'm now that in retrospect, I think it may have been moose scat, but, but anyways, we could not hunt it. So we go back out. Uh, it's still early. So I'm like, let's, let's get out of here. We can't hunt this, this, um, run over this burn two or three miles down the road. So normally I put my bow in my case. Um, but, uh, threw my, I threw my pack on top of my cooler in the back of my truck. And I threw my bow on top of my pack and I've got a topper on the truck. And, um, anyway, so we start driving down these, these roads and they're pretty rough. Um, and I guess we get about, we're almost to the burn and we get around there and we get cell service and the case like, man, I I got, I got to check in at work. So he, he starts calling, uh, uh, his work. And I jump out and I'm like, well, I'm going to check with my wife. I didn't talked to her in four days now. So, um, and I walk around the back of my truck and I, the hatch on that topper is open and my bow is not in the back of my truck. And I mean, I'm panic sets in. So now I'm driving like a madman, you know, on these roads, trying to get back to where it may have fell out, uh, before somebody else finds it. Um, and, my heart just sank and we're driving. We backtrack all the way. We're stopping people along the way and, you know, asking people if they see something, if they're coming that way, I flag them down. There was not that many people out there driving, but uh, we got back to where, where we, we parked earlier. And I thought, well, maybe I left it, you know, maybe I didn't put it in the back of the truck. You know, you start second guessing yourself and uh, yeah, it wasn't there. So now I'm just like, now it's, all hope is pretty much gone. Um, but I'd stop and talk to this one gal, this, this one couple in the, the gal said, well, there was a forestry service truck went by here and we never passed it. So I thought, well, maybe the forestry ranger picked it up. Um, so we started driving back trying to find the forest service, uh, truck. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, well, my hunt's over at this point. i I really think this is a <laughs> long shot. Um, and we thought, well, let's stop at this camp and just ask them if they've seen the forest ranger or anything. So I stopped at this camp and there was a guy there and he's like, he asked me how I was doing. I'm like, you know, I've had better days. And I went into the explanation and lost my bow. And he started asking me a bunch of questions about my bow and I'm describing it to him. And he goes, I think I found your bow. <laughs> <laughs> and about the time he said that his daughter got out of the truck with my bow and, uh, it's funny because uh, I'm about six 220 pounds and this guy was, I don't know how tall he was, but he was a lot smaller than me and I gave him a hug and I think I literally picked him up uh, <laughs> and it, it must've looked pretty funny because everybody started laughing. But yeah, that was uh that was a, a, a miracle that I got my, my bow back. Uh, not only, you know, you think about, all the money time work you invest in a trip and then something like that happens. And I'm thinking that's not the way I want this trip to end. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and, uh, you know, not to mention the money, you got tied up in the bow. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but, uh, but yeah, it was, it, and I, I got it back to camp and shot it and it was dead on. So I'm like, yeah, this is, this is too good. So, um, Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to tell an embarrassing story, but I had to laugh when I had read that from you.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that was I was sick to my stomach over that. And yeah. and I was when he when he told me that and she got out with the bow. I, I just was, you know, I was overcome with joy. I literally uh, I probably would have kissed him if I if I could have gotten away with it, but
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> oh too good man
1: it was fun It was uh, fun so
0: yeah at this point in time how much time did you guys have left like i know you know you you like you said you had plans of oh i can come back for rifle season and we can chat a bit about that but in terms of in terms of archery here and the time that you and mckay have what's what's left for you guys
1: uh, this well, this that was the day before my birthday, uh, which was the 18th, and our flights were back on the 20th, so we had a couple of days left, and uh, so we we were it was kind of getting down the crunch time, um, but we were we were fairly optimistic because we've had so many encounters, um, so I think this was like I think we we had seven full days to hunt, and then we hunted in the morning on the eighth day, and then we then we Flew back out. We went back to town and spent the night. And flew out on the ninth day, um, but uh, so yeah.
0: It, so talk through that. You you mentioned flying out, but guys are going to hear that and go, "Wait, I thought they drove out here."
1: Yeah. So um, um I did the math. It cost me like eight hundred dollars in fuel to drive up there, and uh, I mean that was that's what I totaled up with us driving around. But uh, so six hundred dollars to drive up there, and I did. I checked on some airlines and I could fly up there. Well, I use points on one, on one way. Uh, so I flew home on points, but then I got a flight from Nashville to South, uh, to Bozeman for like 136 bucks. And I'm like, I, I cannot. for that kind of money. I'll just, I'll leave my truck up there and camper up there and I'll drive. I'll fly back up there and drive back. So that's what I did. I made arrangements to, with a friend of a friend to leave. Uh, actually, I. Uh, I had talked to, uh, um, Justin Clement. Oh, okay. Buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and he'd agreed to it, um, uh, to, to let me park it at his place. Um, but, uh, the, the other place was closer to, in Bozeman and I didn't, like I said, it's friend to friend. I don't really know Justin. We've, we've traded some, uh, text messages through Instagram and stuff. We've got a few things in common. So we've, we've changed some, some conversations, but, uh, um, but yeah, I wound up leaving it there and, and flew back and, um, we'll get, I'll, I'll get more into that in the rifle story, I guess. But, um, well, we did have one, one more, um, one more good day. We, it was my birthday. Uh, um, and we got up that morning McKay had heard bugling and there were several nights we'd heard bugling across the road from, from our camp. And so he said, well, let's, I thought, well, let's just go across the road, and it was a bunch of small uh, pine trees, and it was pretty thick, so I, I, I wasn't sure how easy it would be to hunt. Well, we walked through that, and there, there really wasn't any sign in there, but um, there was a meadow, and we crossed this meadow, and there was this uh, maintained, the, this uh, forestry service trail that ran through the meadow, and so we jumped on that trail, and we started working our way back, and it's, uh, it's, it's still early. It's, You know, the sun's up, but um, it might be seven o'clock. And as we start walking up this trail, we hear bugling coming from over the ridge. And uh, as we get closer, we realize that it's multiple bulls. And we're like, man. So we get up on the ridge um, and we hear bugling going up this drainage. And we thought, well, let's go after that bull. And then we start, we start up the trail and then we hit this clearing that we were going to have to cross. And it was, the sun was, it was, I guess it was a South or East facing slope and the sun was right on us. And we're like, I, and we, we, we're going to get made if we walk out in this clearing. And, uh, but there was, it was like a clear cut. Somebody cut a bunch of trees down, but they left the timber there. I don't know what happened. I don't know if the forestry service did a fire break or, or what, but, uh, um, so while we were trying to figure out how to get across this clearing, uh, we started hearing bugling down below us and uh, we're like well that's a different bull and and uh, he he started bugling repeatedly and he was chuckling and bugling so we're we're trying to put eyes on him and uh, we finally we finally see and this guy apparently this herd bull had taken his cows or or just whipped him up and and was, right was leaving with the cows and this guy was so upset he literally was going in a circle about 10 yards wide raking bugling raking and bugling raking and bugling he was just and he was chuckling he was pissed off and uh i thought well this guy's this guy's ripe for the picking you know (laughs) so so we start trying to ease in and get closer to him and and um this the hill we were on we were above him and uh the, the hill we were on and we had a. it was funny because we had a south wind that was overtaking the thermal so we, we weren't worried about him us. um so he he got uh mckay i said well mckay you go up as good as close as you can and i'll i'll go back over here well there was this, there was this little ledge on the hill and um and it i thought well i can drop back on this ledge and i'll be out of sight and i can call him there was a big the big deadfall i could hide behind too so he wouldn't see that and and uh this was kind of my mistake number two uh, um I, I wait and I, I thought mckay was ready i thought he was he was knocking the arrow when when i actually called but uh, um and this bull immediately stopped breaking ran, and, and it was a perfect spot for him to come straight up and mckay would have been in perfect position for him he ran to that edge of that hill and looked straight up the hill at us. And, uh, um, now I've got my head down, so he can't see me. So I, um, but, uh, and he looks and he stares for, I don't know, 15 seconds, immediately turns around and start trotting off bugling as he goes away. And, and, um, we're like, God, did he see us? What was the deal? And, and, you know after analyzing it i realized what he looked at that hillside and and what i was basically in a little indention in the hill and he was like there should be an elk there and he didn't see it and he didn't like it and left uh so in hindsight i probably should have gone further up in the hill and dropped over the back side of the ridge and called or called from you know the top or somewhere somewhere else but um that was amazing because he just and he was a nice bull. He was another six by six. And he's and he he knew something was up and he got out of dodge. So uh, so now we're, we're like, dang, we screwed that up. <laughs> but <clears throat> we thought, well, let's ease up the drainage. There's that herd bull with the cows. So we start we now we can get across the clearing because he's moved up the drainage. Um, so I start calling and he'll bugle, he's bugling. He's, and, and, uh, I thought about challenging him, but I thought, no, he's moving up this drainage with his cows. He's liable to just move them on. So I started, put, you know, kind of doing cow calls like I was lost and, you know, maybe he'd turn back or slow down. And we were able to keep him in earshot for about a mile and a half or two miles. And then we got on top of the, on top of the mountain and they, when he got over the backside, he quit bugling. Um, and then the wind was the wind was all wrong for us to follow him. So I thought, well, we're going to booger him if we keep going in here because he's probably going to bed down here somewhere, and we'll we'll be coming in from the wrong direction. So we backtracked and thought, well, let's just go see if we can find this bull. And we went on a we went on a long <laughs> crazy hike, about nine nine or ten miles. We crossed over some big rock screes that was dangerous and deadfalls and finally made it back to the uh, the road and we were about three miles down the road from our camp. And it's probably getting close to noon now. Um, And uh, this is kind of funny, but uh, we, uh, we climbed up on the road and just catching our breath from climbing this steep embankment and sitting on the guardrail. And this guy comes by in a truck and gives us a ride back to our, our camp. Um, Really nice guy. He was um, quite informative to say the
0: least um, <laughs> <laughs> a good guy to run into <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and he drops us off at camp and he's man you guys picked a good spot and he's and he proceeded to tell me all the bulls he's killed out on that ridge and uh, how many tree stands he's got and all the wallows and um, yeah it was uh it, it, it was it was fun he he was a good guy he he should never work for the cia but uh he, he, was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a good guy around to him too and apparently yeah. every every place he told me to go was everybody else because when we tried to go to those spots they were was somebody always there
0: right but, uh, he's uh, told the tale or two before
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. it was pretty common knowledge apparently what he was sharing with me so there was no secrets told yeah. uh, but we went up uh, and so we tried to uh, we drove around to where we thought that bull took his cows that that afternoon and we started working up this creek and thought they'd be on this north face. And and uh, um, we found him, but he came he came from the um, south face and caught us completely off guard. And we thought he was he, it looked like he was just reversing the course that he took that morning. And uh, we couldn't keep up with him, and, and never found him again. And we had some. the Rest of the hunt was pretty uh, uneventful. We had uh, um, we had some bugles, we had some sightings, we got close to some elk, but uh, you know, long story short, we we didn't tag out. We ate our tags, and um, but you know, we yeah. learned a lot and felt like it was you know it was our first archery elk hunt, so. Even though we've hunted elk, you know, that would have been my, technically my fourth hunt. Um, we, it's the first time we really felt like we, we had enough experience felt that we learned anything.
0: Yeah. Where you're, you're hearing them, you're getting in range, you're having those opportunities, learning about communication, setups, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that you guys had in this hunt. And obviously, filled, filled the deer tag.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got my first mule deer. So that was something.
0: yeah what um so i mean we could keep talking all day but we've already been on here over an hour you had this opportunity to come back for rifle season and i'm sure we could tell some stories and all kinds of things from that but can you just kind of from a high level talk about the contrast of your experiences there because i'm sure that there's there's some guys who you know have maybe done either maybe they're considering one or the other and there's always pros and cons but with you having this unique opportunity to to be in this area and then to come back a few weeks later for rifle season, what was that like? Um,
1: Yeah. First, I'm not a big rifle hunter. I prefer archery hunting, but, um, but you know, they they have such a generous season in Montana. I thought, well, I'm going to take advantage of it. Um, Yeah. I went back uh, a a month later um, and went back to the same spot and, the first day i got there thursday before the season opened up and i um i probably covered like 14 miles uh, and went everywhere we saw elk and uh in that area and there wasn't any sign of them and you know somebody moved them apparently um but um so i at that end of that day i thought i i can uh, i'm gonna have to relocate elk so i thought well i'm gonna move so i drove uh, a couple hours uh, East got more towards central Montana. And, uh, I'd, I picked out a spot over there that was, had some agriculture. And I thought, well, I, I, my best bet is trying to catch a cow or something. I wasn't being picky at this point. I'm meat hunting. Um, and, uh, I thought, well, I'm, I found some, uh, forestry service land that was, uh, had a pivot right up against it on some private. And I thought that looks like a good spot. And, um, showed up on uh, that was thursday evening uh, and i didn't want to go over there and scout it because i didn't want to booger the elk um so I, I drove the roads and looked around and kind of started planning you know getting my plan together for plan b and c and d and so on and uh, uh that friday afternoon uh the invasion of, of hunters came in. It was the craziest experience I've ever seen. Now we saw, we had quite a bit of, there were quite a few hunters during archery season, but I never ran into anybody in the woods. Um, and it was, you know, that we would, we'd stop and hunt one side of the road and somebody would be half a mile down the road and on the other side. And um, so even though there was pressure, it didn't, it didn't interfere with our hunting. Um, but this was, I, it looked like the invasion of Ukraine with these Russians coming in. I mean, it was crazy. It was a steady line of, of trucks and trailers coming in all afternoon, and uh, when I and then opening morning, where I wanted to hunt was about three miles away, and uh, same thing. I was laying. I thought, well, I I don't have to be out there too early, uh, and then I heard all the cars coming up down the road, and I'm like, yeah, I better get out there. Early. So, yeah. jumped up and it didn't do me any good. I just about got run over crossing a, a sage flat to get to the spot I wanted to hunt, and the guy cut me off and dropped the guy off out of the truck. And, anyways, um, needless to say, I, all the stories I read on uh, Rock Slide and the forums about how crowded uh, Montana rifle season is were not exaggerating. I've never seen anything like it. Um, So I hunted two and a half days and um, that, like I said, I wasn't a big rifle hunter and we got about eight, 10 inches of snow and uh, that just kind of confirmed that I couldn't, I couldn't find any tracks or anything anywhere in the area that I was at. So the elk just weren't there. So I packed up and decided to drive home, Mm -hmm. Um, had a little detour on that, but that was, that's another story altogether. (laughs)
0: <laughs> did you so this initial trip out there you as you said we talked about earlier you drove out there you flew home you now flown back and i heard of them driving home i'm assuming this second trip not getting ready to drive home that's when you picked up your meat that you had taken care of that deer
1: uh yeah actually yeah that's uh and i'll put in plug for it yellowstone meats was awesome um we had checked, we checked my, my nephew had talked to him beforehand and they said they could hold the meat for a few weeks for me. And I thought, well, that's yeah, That's all well and good till it really, really happens. I had a freezer in my truck, um, but driving on the roads messed it up. It wouldn't, it wasn't working. Uh, So um, yeah, I left it with them. They held it till gun season. And uh, I came by, like I said, uh, I guess it was two days in rifle season. She said that she said, well, she said, See, we can do that during archery season but during rifle season we can't do it because they're just overwhelmed with with uh, uh you know meat but uh um yeah so i picked up my meat uh it's they're just outside of bozeman and then and started heading back so long drive
0: <laughs> yeah that is a long drive that is for sure well jim i i so appreciate the time um you know, not only sharing the the hunting story, which has some lessons you learned and, and lessons we can all learn from. But honestly, it's I know it's not just me that finds inspiration from guys like yourself. I know listeners do, too, of, you know, it's kind of never too late to start. Um, you can be in your 60s, you can be in your 30s, you can make excuses or you can just choose to to do what you can do and get out and go after it and continue to kind of always learn. And I just love telling those stories. So thanks for sharing that with us.
1: Well, you once again, I I think it's, it's my pleasure. It's an honor to be here and, and man, that's awesome if I can inspire anybody because, but yeah, if you, just go out there and do it, there's, there's no reason. I mean, you can come up with reasons, but the bottom line is, is um, you only got so many days on, or somebody trips around the sun as they say uh, and try to make the most of them that's kind of my philosophy and like i said i love you guys i love what you do I love the company and and uh thanks again for for having me on
0: well that is a wrap guys i hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as i did i feel like i say that a lot but man i truly mean it it was such a fun opportunity to speak with jim and to share that with you today If you guys are hearing this the week that it comes out, be sure to stay tuned. We're launching a huge giveaway next week, thousands and thousands of dollars in prizes. So there's more to come on that. Um, Once again, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive that future episode automatically. And we always do appreciate your support. If there's anything we can help you with, or if you have a question for the show, send an email to podcast at XOMountainGear.com. We'll talk to you soon.